everyone. I'm Laura Ellsworth welcoming you to Prairie Doc Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Dr. Richard Holm. We have a special guest with us today, Dr. Jonathan Melema. Dr. Melema specializes in ear, nose, and throat and sinus surgery with Avera Medical Group Specialty Care. Welcome, Dr. Melema. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to practice here in Brookings. Uh, well, I grew up in Minnesota, and uh, after high school, I went to Bethel College at St. Paul, and then went on to medical school at the University of Minnesota, and while I was there, that's where I kind of uh, had my first exposure to ENT and decided that that was kind of the specialty that I really uh, resonated better with me. So. <clears throat> I went to uh, residency at the University of Cincinnati in Ohio for five years and then came back to Minnesota. I've been in practice now for about uh, 15 and a half years. And um, I, the first 14 years would be in Minnesota and uh, did outreach kind of around southwest Minnesota. And now with uh, transitioning of, uh, to a different job, I've been in Brookings now since uh, about July of uh, last year. Okay. Excellent. Well, we're happy to have you in Brookings and uh, serving patients here in our community. Uh, we're planning to co um, cover a variety of topics today, including image-guided sinus surgery and common and uncommon ear, nose, and throat concerns. So if you have any medical questions for Dr. Melema, please give us a call now at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. Fourteen thirty. Let's start by talking a little bit about the sinuses. We did get a question already um, from a listener saying their daughter suffers from sinus congestion and sinus headaches. Are there any over-the-counter medicines or home remedies that will give her some relief instead of going in to see a doctor? Sinus uh, disease and, and sinus uh, headaches are very, very common. It's one of the more common reasons for visits to physicians. And uh, it covers really a diverse group of uh, problems. It's not just um, everything that's headache is sinus and not everything that's sinus is headache either. Um, and you'll find some uh, physicians all over the board about what they think is sinus headache and what is uh, just a true headache. But when you look at people who are misdiagnosed with sinusitis, the number one misdiagnosis for sinusitis is actually migraine headache. And migraine headache can have a wide variety of presentations as well, and it can stimulate you to have nasal congestion, post-nasal drip, runny nose, cough, all the stuff that people traditionally associate with sinusitis. Um, so sometimes it can be a little difficult to parse out what is actually the problem because people with um, migraine-associated uh, nasal complaints often won't improve with a lot of the traditional saline um, nasal steroids, decongestants, things like that, that uh, usually do have some benefit with people who truly have sinus disease. <coughs> uh, it, it is uh, sometimes difficult to, to figure that out without some further testing, like, such as CAT scans and uh, endoscopy. But in general, when you talk about treating uh, sinus disease and what's actually the most effective when you actually study it, there's a lot of home remedies and things out there that, that uh, people uh, fall back on, but the ones that actually have the most evidence for benefit are going to be things that improve the lining's health, decrease the swelling, and help the, uh, 
the function where the lining is supposed to be moving mucus out of the sinuses and into the back of the nose. So the, the two easiest and, and uh, least probably uh, risky things to do are going to be using saline rinses, which most pharmacies have over the counter. Um, the one I oftentimes will have people use is called the Neil, uh, N-E-I-L, Neil Med Sinus Rinse Kit. And uh, it's nice because it's only about 12 or $14. But you just literally rinse your nose with saline. It does help reduce some of the swelling of the nose. It helps move the mucus and some of the things that may be irritating the nose as well as uh, they have shown microscopically that it improves the function of the microscopic fingers or the microcilia that are supposed to be moving the mucus out of the sinuses and into the back of the nose. Um, so the nasal steroids, they usually help reduce inflammation, they decrease the swelling, they, uh, they do help a lot of causes of nasal irritation, including allergy. But uh, Nasacort and Flonase both are over-the-counter and also have a, a generic uh, version available as well. There's a small risk of nosebleeds with those, uh, so if you have a lot of history of nosebleed, it's probably not a great selection, but if your nose has uh, otherwise uh, not been an issue from a bleeding standpoint, <coughs> using those after the rinse uh, daily can be very helpful. And usually these are things that you want to be using daily. It's not just kind of, I used it this morning because I felt a little plugged and, and then you know three days from now I still feel plugged. It's more kind of using it consistently that gives you the best results. Now having said that, it does give you some relief the day you use it, but it, it works, you know, I usually tell patients to give it a good month of using it every day if you really have a chronic sinus problem. But uh, um, usually about after two weeks you get to, to supposedly about the maximum effect of the nasal steroid. Uh, but uh, the longer the lining is healthy, the more it can kind of reestablish normal drainage, the better. But uh, other things like mu uh, Mucinex is one that people like to use a lot doesn't have a lot of great studies out there to prove whether or not it works, but the principle is that it's supposed to make the mucus more kind of watery so it can drain easier and not get as so hung up in the throat. The, um, the uh, dosages and the available uh, uh, compounds are kind of uh, widely, <laughs> wide variety there, and I typically like to have people use the extra strength version without any decongestant in it because the... Um, when you start mixing a couple different medications in these, sometimes the dose of one medication is uh, going to be a little higher than it should be if you use the other at the dose that should be the appropriate dose. So Sudafed, certainly if you have nasal congestion, can be beneficial, but a lot of those decongestants can, with time, cause some issues with more rapid heartbeat, possibly elevate your blood pressure. Some people have trouble sleeping. They can get a little jittery or anxious. So I don't typically recommend chronic use of Sudafed, but there are some people who benefit from it and don't have a lot of side effects. Um, a lot of people like to use antihistamines like Claritin, Allegra, Zyrtec. Um, those medications do reduce the drainage in your nose as a side effect, even if you don't have allergy. But that typically does take the make the secretions more thick, so they can be more prone to plugging your sinuses, actually, and some people can make them a little more likely to get sinus disease or feel like they have chronic mucus that just can't clear out of the back of their nose or throat. Now, if you truly have allergy, they're very beneficial and, and uh, very safe. Mm -hmm. So uh, it kind of has to be tailored to each individual patient and what they're dealing with. I, now, having said I don't like combination compounds, when I use stuff for myself, I, I don't like taking as many medications. So frequently I'll, I'll uh, also use something like an Aleve cold and sinus if it's just kind of an acute sinusitis, you know, it's been going on for a couple weeks or something. Mm -hmm. uh, um, then that does have a Sudafed mixed with an Aleve, so you get the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug that reduces kind of the achiness and the pains, uh, and you only have to take it every 12 hours, and then it has Sudafed for the decongestion because that's 
for me, one of the main symptoms is very frustrating. And then I also use saline rinses and nasal steroids, like Flonase or Nasacor, like I was mentioning before. Well, that's a... <coughs> I'm sorry. I was going to say the, uh, um, in the first couple weeks of sinus infection symptoms, the main medications that are of benefit are those, the ones that reduce symptoms. The, the, mm -hmm. uh, the evidence on act actually using antibiotics is very poor in the first couple of weeks. Okay. Very good. Well, we're going to take our first break, and this gives you all an opportunity to call in with your questions. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical concerns you would like us to address. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and today's Prairie Doc guest is Dr. Jonathan Melema. Dr. Melema specializes in ear, nose, and throat and sinus surgery with Avera Medical Group Specialty Care. Call us now with your medical questions at 605-692-1430. Before our break, we were discussing sinuses and some of the options to try at home, um, the rinses, a few things we could try. Um, when do we know, when does someone know like it's time to maybe go in and see a doctor? You know, I've tried a couple things at home. This isn't working. Um, when should I take that next step? The, um, that's a good question. A lot of people are all over the board on this. Frequently I see patients who, as we were discussing in the break, often will have symptoms for a short period of time and then because they're very familiar with the symptomatology that they've usually associated with sinus infections, they rapidly go in and, and uh, seek treatment with antibiotics because that for years has been kind of the traditional thinking and kind of the uh, fairly knee-jerk reaction. I have yellow-green drainage, my face hurts, it's been bothering me for you know five days, I feel congested, I need an antibiotic. Um, and that was the traditional teaching years ago, but now they have had actual studies that have looked at the, the secretions and is that yellow green is that because of bacteria is that because of virus is that because of something else and most of that color is actually coming from enzymes in the white blood cells which do respond to infection from viruses as well as for bacteria the uh, all the symptoms that we used to think were really indicative of needing back antibiotics now have been basically proven that they're not reliable so the things that actually do uh, uh, show whether or not you have a bacterial infection would be possibly nasal endoscopy where we actually use a little telescope to look up the nose and then culturing any drainage that looks like uh, pus to see if there's actually bacteria in it. Um, after that, the only real predictive thing is the duration of symptoms. People are frequently right that they do have a sinusitis, but the idea that antibiotics are a good treatment for sinusitis is, uh, is not accurate for most people. The vast majority of those sinus infections, uh, no matter what those symptoms are, are usually viral. And if you look at the data, the only thing that we've been able to kind of give as a guideline is really the duration of the symptoms. If the symptoms have been uh, going on for two weeks and are not improving at all, once you get beyond that point, then 25% of those infections statistically will be bacterial. So mm -hmm. still, even at that point, 75% wow. are mm -hmm. viral. If it's less than two weeks, 95% are viral. And the only other, they, they also, uh, guidelines says that if at 10 days your symptoms are significantly worsening, that's another time where you would consider giving antibiotics. Mm -hmm. Certainly there are other things that would uh, be like a complicated sinusitis, you know, if you're starting to get a real red swollen eye or um, other s signs of just kind of uh, real deterioration in the overall health rather than just kind of the, you know, feeling under the weather uh, symptoms. 
so it, a lot of times it takes a lot of um, uh, convincing people who are really ac uh, uh, used to getting antibiotic after five days that the reason that they feel better after a week of antibiotics is probably, uh, statistically speaking, is because the virus is running its course and you're going to start get, getting better. You just happen to get in in that time frame to get antibiotics. So usually mm -hmm. we try to manage the symptoms uh, uh, initially. Mm -hmm. um, if the symptoms are not improving at that point, then that's a time where I would say s seeing a physician would be uh, a good idea where uh, you probably have a reasonable uh, argument that antibiotics could have some benefit and mm -hmm. something that you would need prescribed. Uh, other things, of course, people who have sinus disease uh, or sinus symptoms that are there all the time, no matter how much they get treated, they may fluctuate in intensity, but they never go away. At some point, you're probably going to want to have that evaluated. There's a couple uh, things that make us more concerned, like if you have like a unilateral or one-sided nasal obstruction or both sides, you can't actually breathe at all through your nose. And it's a long-term thing, not just I can't breathe when I'm sick, but mm -hmm. I can't breathe at all, a lot, which also often goes with the loss of sense of smell, which we hear a lot about now because of COVID. But that, that loss of sense of smell is, obvious, is oftentimes more because the nose is obstructed and they can't get their airflow through the nose. Uh, other things would be uh, that kind of a symptom in, a, in conjunction with double vision or significant visual changes. Uh, or recurrent uh, bloody noses, especially one-sided bloody noses that um, not just blood in the mucus, but more like a significant no nosebleed that, that uh, is more difficult to stop. Those are definitely things that we are more concerned about. Numbness of the face as well would be another one. Okay. And so if um, we do have this ongoing sinus problem, um, it's not just a something that we have and we get over, but people who struggle with sinus issues ongoing, what are some of the remedies and treatment options that um, we have now in Brookings? I understand we have some new technology and things as well. Yes. Uh, well, once you kind of start down that road of getting further assessment and, and whether or not surgery might actually be an option, usually we reserve surgery for people who have um, anatomic issues where the sinuses won't drain. You can't get them clear no matter what with medications and it's affecting the patient's quality of life. Certainly there's a lot of people who deal with sinus disease that never decide to go in and, and uh, or do go in and decide not to have surgery. Um, it is a quality of life disease for most people, so meaning basically it's not life-threatening, If but if it's making you miserable, it's probably worth your time to try and see if it can be corrected. Because you're probably often having these headaches and drainage. Is that the, the on, like quality of life issue? Is yeah, that it kind can of? cause chronic cough, chronic okay. throat clearing, uh, social issues, can't smell. If you can't smell, your taste is, is a problem. Sure. Um, yeah, not being able to breathe, headaches, certainly all those things, yep. Okay. Um, most of the people who benefit, well, I should say the people who benefit the most from sinus surgery are going to be the people who have uh, chronic sinus disease that won't go away for over 12 weeks, no matter what the medication treatment regimen is. And usually before you consider surgery, uh, almost always, you're going to have a CAT scan to give us a better idea surgically about what, what sinuses are really involved, what's uh, blocked, what might need to be opened, and, and uh, uh, any landmarks that we have to watch out for as far as safety is concerned. But the technology that we that you were referring to that we uh, were able to get here last year and we've been using now is um, image guidance for the sinus surgery. It's just, it's another tool to help us as far as safety and and getting a better clean out of the areas that are uh, inflamed on the CAT scan. Okay. And with image guidance, it, it allows us to take the CAT scan in the operating room and basically cross reference it with a patient's head while they're asleep, and it. it 
the computer can sort of see, I guess for lack of a better term, because of electromagnetic um, sensors, it can tell where our instruments are. And so on the CAT scan, if I, I'm doing surgery, I can look at the CAT scan and it'll show me on the CAT scan where my instrument is. So I know if I'm getting really close to the eye, if, there's a, uh, if I'm right up next to the, the skull base, where you know on the other side of the skull base would be the brain and the nerve for the sense of smell. So it helps us make sure we've, we're not missing anything, but also helps us get to the right spots and make sure we're not getting too far uh, into areas where we have to be concerned. And what are you doing when you're doing sinus surgery? Are you opening things up? Are you what, what's happening when you're doing the sinus surgery? Usually, with well, sinus surgery now since the uh, '90s has been almost always endoscopic. So it's not making incisions on the face. It's using these tiny little cameras or telescopes to look up the nose so you can see what you're doing, and then removing the anatomic obstruction and trying to create one good open cavity so that things can drain appropriately and you get rid of any uh, sort of blockage. And then depending on the patient, washing things out, um, culturing uh, for antibiotic coverage, and um, you know if you have nasal polyps, removing the polyps so they don't block things, and uh, trying to create an open space that it's easier to get topical medications into as they heal and also easier to clean and uh, hopefully doesn't get them into the same kind of uh, problems later. But it's usually pretty successful for people who have chronic sinusitis and, ha and sinus surgery. On the first go around, about 80 to 90% will have uh, a good outcome where they're happy, it's made mm -hmm. significant improvement in their symptoms and they don't, have, uh, they, they don't have to return to the operating room again. Okay, wow. Yeah, because you would, you would think that maybe that is something you would have to revisit in the future mm -hmm. or whatever, but 80 or 90% have are, are pretty good after that one yeah. time. Um, yeah. The exception to that would be polyps. Uh, nasal mm -hmm. polyps uh, oftentimes are assigned more of an immune uh, system issue as far as not being able to shut off the inflammatory response. And uh, about 50% of people with nasal polyps, when you remove their polyps, eventually will have their polyps return to the point where they need to consider surgery again. So okay. polyps are kind of a, a, a different animal, but uh, surgery is part of the treatment, but they often need to be on some lifelong medications to try and keep uh, control uh, and prevent the polyps from regrowing, or if they do flare, to kind of calm them back down without surgery, hopefully. Okay. All right, well, it's time for us to go to our next break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical concerns you would like us to address. Our programs are available as a podcast. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and today's Prairie Doc guest is Dr. Jonathan Melema. Dr. Melema specializes in ear, nose, and throat and sinus surgery with Avera Medical Group Specialty Care. Call us now with your medical questions at 605-692-1430. We've been talking with Dr. Melema about sinuses and um, some treatment options and um, the new technology available at Brookings Health System um, to help treat sinuses as well. We had a question come in from a listener saying their sinuses hurt when the collar goes outside. Also used to be ha also used to happen when she went swimming. What would be the cause of that? 
Um, that is a frequent complaint that people have. Um, sensitivity in the nose, sensitivity in the ears uh, with cold air or water is, is a very common thing. Okay. And uh, it's, some of the things that can play into it are to include what, what exactly is it that you're being exposed to. You know, if, if you have allergies to certain uh, pollens or uh, um, other environmental allergies and you go outside and that it gets in your nose, causes more congestion, which uh, some people perceive as pain because it can change the pressure in the sinuses. Um, but oftentimes, just the dry, dryness of the air can make your nose uh, congest more. Uh, the cold air is oftentimes will initially make it easier to breathe through your nose because your body's trying to conserve heat. So it moves blood from the nose more towards your core. And so when you're outside, it feels like a lot of people feel like they can initially breathe better. But when they come mm. back in a warm room, it doesn't take long and they feel like they're congested and they can't breathe very well. And in those situations, the the body's trying to protect the nose, and once it gets out of a cold environment where the heat is not an issue, the blood goes back to the nose, and it tries to kind of seal it off and reduce the airflow because it doesn't want to be dry, so it wants to re-moisturize the nose. Um, so those, those stimuli of just the drying effect or temperature change can oftentimes cause some irritation to the nerves that we perceive pain. Now, there are some people who don't have a lot of room in their nose or, or the drainage pathways of their sinuses. And so when you, when you get those perceptions of pain or those reactive nerves, you can have a mild congestion and then that blocks the sinus and then you perceive some pressure changes in the, in the head. Uh, and you see this with some people with weather change, they can notice it as well. I don't know that anybody has like a exact... Um, you know, down to the molecular basis knowledge of exactly how this how this occurs or why it occurs, but it's a very common phenomenon. Usually it doesn't indicate anything really um, significantly wrong that you necessarily need scans or anything for, but it is certainly a nuisance and frustrating. Um, some people uh, will, you know, especially for like ears, when they notice that their ears get very irritated whenever they're out, out in the cold to wear earmuffs, there's not really a, an equivalent for your nose, although a face mask um, that everybody's wearing nowadays uh, sometimes may change this because as you breathe out, you're breathing more warm, humidified air that's mm -hmm. coming out into your mask and kind of conserving some of that moisture. But um, usually there's nothing um, significantly wrong that you need to worry about getting evaluated by a physician or anything for, but it is, it is a nuisance, and, and uh, I, I do hear that quite frequently. Um, any other, so maybe, like you said, covering the ears, covering the nose, perhaps with a scarf or a face mm -hmm. mask now. Any other remedies to kind of help with that um the i think it's there's not really like a medication that i would recommend sure. um you know saline uh, moisturization nasal saline there's also saline based gels that stick around longer like air gel ayr it's over the counter um some people will feel a little bit of, of reduced uh irritation if they have uh if they know what happens every day when they go outside and they go outside in the morning yep. before they leave using a little bit of that gel in the nose to help kind of keep it more moist can sometimes help reduce it a little bit. Okay. But I think it's more going to be about the, the, the heat and the moisture than anything else as far as those environmental changes that rapidly bring on some discomfort or uh, such as cold air or uh, water. And some people are, uh, with water, the one thing with that was just like being in a lake. That's not saline. And so when you, if you look at um, osmotic pressure, which basically deals with particles in the water. If there's a lot of particles, like a lot of salt particles, and it balances out to how much uh, those um, atoms are in the, the moisture in your blood vessels, it doesn't push fluid one way or the other. It just stays neutral. If, there's, uh, if you're in water where there's very few of those particles, 
because it's not salt water and then you uh, expose that to the membranes of your nose the membranes tend to absorb some of the water mm. and that can cause more swelling too uh, so and you see this more too with trauma like people wipe out on a tube uh, sure and they feel like they get a sinus infection for a couple of days or um, oh. so uh, yeah yeah it's pretty common Okay. I really appreciate your description of that breath of fresh air. You know, that's a common phrase. I mean, even my seven-year-old will say, I need to go get some fresh air, you Mm -hmm. know, that response. So can you explain that one more time, that response that our body, the blood moving away? Oh, with the cold air. Yeah, in cold air. um, Anytime, and people will notice oftentimes with their hands and feet, you know, that Uh you're out in the cold for a while and you're not dressed warm enough in the core, my kids always make fun of me because I always talk about that. But if the core is a little bit on the colder, cooler side, the body wants to move the blood from the extremities to the center of the body to conserve that heat for self-preservation. Sure. But the nose seems to do that some too. The cold temperature also reduces the blood flow too, not just the um, um, just the shunting of the blood, but also uh, the body just causes some blood vessels to constrict there. And then uh, the other thing that cold air will do is those, like I mentioned before, those lining, uh, the lining of the nose and the sinuses has those microscopic fingers, the microvilli, um, or cilia, uh, I should say, and the cilia don't move when they get too cold. They also don't move when you, uh, they can be paralyzed by smoke and other chemicals. Um, They can be uh, dysfunctional with certain foods and smells as well. So a, a lot of times in the cold air, people will say, every time I go out in the cold, my nose runs. And that's because it's not usually that you're making that much more mucus than you were before. It's just that the tissues that usually move the mucus to the back are paralyzed by the cold air. It all uh, comes out the front. Okay. Your nose warms up. Uh, you get congested, but you also get those uh, those uh, cilia start moving the mucus to the back of the nose again. So uh, it's a common thing that everybody sees in yeah. Christmas with the drippy nose and the right. s- you know the old sense. singing the Christmas carols while your nose is dripping. Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. that's so fascinating. Well, it's time for us to go to our final break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio. If you have any other questions, give us a call now at 605-692-1430. Welcome back <coughs> to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and today's Prairie Doc guest is Dr. Jonathan Melema. Dr. Melema specializes in ear, nose, and throat and sinus surgery here in Brookings with Avera Medical Group Specialty Care. Call us now with your medical questions. Dr. Melema, a common symptom of COVID-19 is to lose your sense of taste or smell. Why does that happen? Uh, well, that's a good question. I don't know that they have as far, usually when you lose your taste and smell, it's not a life-threatening problem. So. Okay. When people are studying these kind of things, oftentimes they want to actually look at the tissue under the microscope and, and see, you know, what kind of tissue changes there are. Is there scarring? Is there swelling? Is there blood or uh, blood vessels that are obstructed or clotted off so that it loses blood, blood flow? Is there damage to the nerve or is it just blocking the chemical from getting to the nerve? Uh, but what we perceive as smell are certain chemicals and they have to obviously get in your nose and they have to get up to what's called the olfactory cleft, which is where the nerves are that are responsible for what we interpret as smell. And if those chemicals can't get there, you can't smell. Um, And when you look at taste, the majority of taste, what we think is taste, is actually coming from our sense of smell. The tongue mainly is gonna be sweet, sour, salty, bitter, that kind of stuff. And the nuances of like, is this strawberry or is this grape? You know, that kind of uh, discrimination is your nose, not your mouth. Mm. And so uh, whenever your sense of smell is distorted, your sense of taste will be distorted as well. Um, 
Now, there are some people who would also come in and say that they can't tell the sweet, sour, salty, bitter, and they just tell texture, and that's it. Okay. So uh, when a nerve gets injured, um, it can be injured at the nerve ending. It can be the nerve itself. It can be centrally at the brain. But uh, it doesn't seem like it's a viral uh, injury centrally in the brain. That would be more like an encephalitis. This seems to be probably more locally in the nose, and that's where a lot of people also have symptoms, congestion, drainage, that kind of stuff, and sometimes pain Mm -hmm. with the uh, infection as well. Prior to COVID, it was fairly uncommon, relatively speaking. Mm -hmm. People with nasal polyps or chronic sinus disease oftentimes feel like they can't smell very well. But um, as we get older, we also lose some of those nerves. So in general, as we get older, our sense of smell deteriorates as well. Uh, If we smoke, then they don't work as well. So our sense of smell also deteriorates as well. But prior to COVID, there there were people who would have a viral injury like that and typically have a history of like a cold or a sinus infection and then end up with this loss of sense of smell. Um, With COVID, about 50% of people, 56% to be exact, and more commonly in women than men, will lose their sense of smell. Hmm. And when you look at how long they lose it for, uh, 90% will have recovery of at least most of their sense of smell within four weeks. But that still leaves 10% that have difficulty. And we don't have an established medical regimen that really has a high success rate at returning your sense of smell, but there are a few things, such as fish oil, irrigating the nose with steroids, Mm. um, uh, smell retraining where you take four different smells and practice basically daily smelling them, Mm -hmm. which have shown some benefit with previous viral losses, a sense of smell. But it's a wide variety about how much recovery people have even when using those interventions. And some people, it seems to make a significant improvement, often not back to baseline, but improvement. And some people, it's it's measurable, but it's not something that actually makes them feel like life is any better. You know, quality of life is any better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, you know, we don't know exactly why the people who don't recover their sense of smell uh, fall in that category compared to the people who do. Fascinating. We still have a lot to learn, don't we, about oh, yeah. COVID and uh, the long-term effects and mm-hmm. how we continue to recover from that. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Melma, it's about time for us to wrap up. We sure thank you for being here today and sharing um, your knowledge with us and your time with us. Before we go, please be sure to tune in to South Dakota Public Broadcasting Television and the Prairie Doc Facebook page for On Call with the Prairie Doc most Thursdays starting at 7 p.m. Central. However, this Thursday, due to SDPB programming, we will not be having a live show on television. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and will listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK, brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. Visit www.prairiedoc.org and look for Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks again to Dr. Melema for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say, stay healthy out there, people.